Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., this is a podcast from Minute Media. Well, if anyone thought Steve Cohen was going to get off Twitter, obviously he has proven now that that's not true. Uh, look, Gary, uh, would I have responded in that way? No. I think contract negotiations with players, uh, you know, are intended to be for the most part private. They involve a lot more than dollars and cents. There's a lot that goes into these things. And even if there was a promise given, it's probably better off for future interests, for future business dealings to address that privately as opposed to really lashing out in a public forum. Now, that being said, from an entertainment value, this, this stuff is great. I, I mean, we're really kind of getting to see behind the curtain here more than we otherwise would have. I, I think, you know, you want an owner who cares. And Steve Cohen has proven time and again that he is very high on that list. He cares a lot. He cares about every little thing that goes on with that club. So that's a good thing. And I also find it somewhat laughable, this idea that, well, free agents aren't going to want to sign here in New York because the owner tweets a lot. Uh, it's On the list of priorities, if I'm a free agent baseball player wanting to sign with a team, that would probably be about 32nd on my list behind, A, number one would be money. So I, I don't think it's that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. And like I said, would I have done it that way? No. But I'm kind of glad that Steve Cohen did because it is entertaining for all of us. All right, let's follow up on that. So, Todd, follow up on what, what Anthony said right there. If you were on the Mets, which you once were, or somebody with interest in the Mets, would the owner's Twitter presence be an issue for you? No, um, not really at all, Gary. I think 
um, to Anthony's last point, the reality is um, he got beat in a negotiation. I'm sure he's a guy that's been very active in negotiations in his other businesses. Um, I'm sure he doesn't like to lose. He felt like he wasn't treated correctly, but nobody in my mind is going to have, um, you know, whether or not he tweets as a real impact in their decision to come here, especially considering the guy's got a big wallet. He wants to win. He's obviously um, passionate about his Mets team. So um, I think that would be the least of my worries if I was considering signing as a free agent in New York, especially for the Mets. And Steve Cohen, not a problem. What a coup right now here, Franny, uh, for what Steve Cohen and this front office were able to do. Yeah. It, I mean, give Billy Epler the the kudos for right now. For right now. I mean, he, he got in there and he got after it. Right away. Like It's like he was GMing. <laughs> like He was playing Fantasy League for himself. What would I do? And he had all these lists and all this stuff. He's like, well, if I become a GM here, this is what I'm going to do. It's like, if I become the GM of the Mets, guess what I'm going to do? By the way, uh, do you want to interview for the Mets job? Yeah, I'll interview. Okay, you're hired. Okay, let's sign this guy, this guy, and this guy now. <laughs> and and that's what he had. I mean, that's the feeling it, it, it has right behind it. I'm not going to say perfect. No, there's never a perfect offseason, right? But they did add three, three quality, quality, quality players. They uh, I'm not going to say because I don't know enough of Starling Marte in the clubhouse. I know him as a very quiet guy, not one that's going to be, you know, like just rah-rah, he just goes out and balls. That's what I know. But I, all I know is, and, and knowing Mark since he was a kid, he, he, he did swim lessons at my mom's house for years, mom and dad's house. Uh, so I've known him since he was a little kid. He's a leader. He wants to win. He loves the game. And he's going to show you that he's pretty damn good, too. Oh, and then there's Eduardo Escobar. Everybody that I've been around and associated that's played with him with the Twins or anyone, guess what? Love him. They love him. Mm -hmm. They love what he brings as a person. They love what he brings as a player. And they love what he just brings in the clubhouse as a leader. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, November the 28th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and you can check out our friends over at Fansided, as we are part of the Fansided Podcasting Network. Check out our friends over at RisingApple.com, the good folks over there, great content, RisingApple.com. Well, hope everybody has fully recovered from Thanksgiving. Another one in the books, and the hot stove could not be hotter. I know in some parts of New York, we saw snow for the first time. It might be a little bit chilly, I know, over by me. But the hot stove is a burning here, and we got a ton to talk about as I come to you 
from a, another wild week in Metzland. And not only will you get one, but you'll get two hours of content here today as I'm going to have to split it up into two different shows. I've been planning it for a while, and you'll hear part two of this program in a bit where I have the first ever Talking Mets panel as I have fans and listeners of the show and we'll give it a try. And how did I select these individuals? Well, guess what? Uh, they were some of the more interactive individuals from the course of the last couple of years. It, nothing more than that. Uh, good fans of the show, uh, a good diverse group of opinions and ideas and, and from different segments of Met society. So we're going to give it a shot. Doesn't mean we won't pick others in the future. So stay tuned for that as that will be coming up, and they'll both be dropped on your podcasting service. Like I said, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, whatever, Amazon Music, whatever you listen to, it's going to be there. So if you went into the weekend, and I love the Thanksgiving Eve, that long, I mean, what's better? I mean, there's really no holiday like Thanksgiving Eve. You start on Wednesday, and you, you pretty much, for the most part, people have, what is it, about five days off. It's like having a week off almost. And if you went in on Wednesday, which I think some of you may have a little melancholy over the news that here we go again, another free agent spurned the Mets and Steve Cohen took it to Twitter and he was upset because he, he was under the impression, and I think all of us were, that the Mets had a pretty good shot of bringing back Steven Matz. Now, I know that would have been a polarizing decision because similar to a lot of other of the young pitchers. I think Matt's always fell into the category of disappointment because we always expected him to be Harvey and Syndergaard and DeGrom, when in reality, he's a very good uh, left-hander, guy who could be a number three on a good day, a solid back end of the rotation starter. He's going to wind up having a nice 10-plus year career in the big leagues, and I think he's going to be a guy that pretty much is going to win 10, 12, 13 uh, games a year. Uh, I think that's what you're going to be looking at as you go forward with Steven Matz. What's funny is is that everybody talked about Steven Matz. You heard Joel Sherman and whatnot, how he had this renaissance in Toronto. And why did the Mets not be able to figure out this renaissance? And we'll talk about the player real quick because I was all in favor of that contract. Four years is a little bit more than I'd like. $11 bucks a year with the way the pitching market goes for a guy that probably could give you 160, 170 innings. Basically 30 starts, six innings, three runs. When you have a good offense, and it looks like after the moves on Friday, the Mets are working towards getting a better offense. I don't know if there'll be a five-run-per-game offense like I expected a year ago, but a better offense. Six innings, three runs with a good bullpen will get you where you need to get. Steven Matz was the same pitcher outside of the pandemic 2020 anomaly that we'll throw out for everybody, good or bad, that he was with the Mets in 18 and 19. Virtually the same uh, innings, strikeout rate, walk rate. You know, you go down and go over to fan graphs and see all the peripherals. Guess what? He had an offense that averaged over five runs a game. And when you have an offense that averages that kind of runs per game, you also pitch probably a little bit differently in some games. You don't have to be as perfect. You know, maybe it was certain uh, teams on the schedule, if you really want to dive into, that had this squish better traditional results, but Steven Matz was the exact same pitcher. You were getting the same guy that you let go, which, by the way, I was not in favor of because I thought they could have used another arm, and sure enough, they could have. 
And yeah, they got Yancy Diaz and Sean Reed Foley who had their moments. But in the end, I think what Stephen Matz provided, especially in the first half of the year when they were having all those double headers, could have been immensely important. So here we are. You know, it looks like he's going to come back. He engages the Mets. The Mets are asking him for, you know, the last uh, right of refusal, so to speak. And his agent went out and made a great deal with the Cardinals. First, from the player's perspective, number one, don't begrudge him. Great baseball city, close to his uh, wife's family, or, you know, he's down in Nashville now. And it's the Midwest. It's more laid back. And he doesn't have that yoke of expectations that he's coming here. Not only the yoke of being part of this Mets team in this point in their history, but the yoke of expectations that Stephen Matt's top prospect will never, ever in a Mets uniform satisfy. Nobody in St. Louis cares if he's a guy that's going to be 12 and 10 with a 4 ERA. They're not going to care. They're going to say he gave us a good performance for what we paid for. In New York, I'm not so sure. So from a personal standpoint, and I live out here in Stony Brook, would have loved to see Steven Matz come back. Probably a better decision for him. Disappointed because I thought it would have been a key piece to beefing up the depth in the Mets rotation. And it wasn't an unreasonable price. I know the Mets, and we'll get to that in a bit, are shopping at a little bit of the higher end part of the market. But you still need to fix that back end of the rotation depth. And it was a reasonable deal. As far as Steve Cohen, I have no problem with him going to Twitter. And as you heard coming in, if you think anybody is not going to sign with the Mets because he tweeted about their agent, you know what? I laugh at an industry where there's so many leaks, most of them coming from agencies, using the media, using the you know insiders who made their living off of partnering and helping get contracts for players. You think Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan and Heyman, and I respect what all these guys have done. I'm not taking shots at them here. You think that they did this stuff and part and parcel has not helped me out? You got another thing coming. You don't know how media works. Go back and read that Adam Schefter uh, article where he got caught in some of those emails that nailed John Gruden and look at what he was doing to get access from certain members of certain organizations. When you have a league without leaks where everybody plays up and above and aboard on everything, then you could complain about Steve Cohen's tweeting, which, by the way, he's showing passion. He's trying to get, I think, this veiled line, oh, this, this line of the ivory tower that certainly existed in the last five to ten years of the Wilpon ownership away. And I think he's trying to show the fans that he cares, that there's action coming. And he's a fan himself. And is it a little bit George Steinbrinian? Yeah. And can it be at times dysfunctional sounding and looking? Sure. Do I think it's hurting the Mets in their business? No. And you heard that from Anthony DeComo coming in. You heard it from a former player in Todd Zeal. And guess what? After the Mets had their Black Friday shopping bonanza uh, and, and acquired three really solid offensive pieces, you heard the MLB Network uh, guys, Jensen Lewis. They, they didn't care. They didn't care at all, and all of a sudden everything is okay. So that's where you're at. Uh, you know, this idea that the Mets are being spurned because of their culture is so laughable. Nobody cares. You know how you bring guys in? Guys are good guys. They'll make the culture. You bring good guys in, guess what? The culture will get better. And I love how the media's culture, culture, culture. They wouldn't know culture if it hit them in the head. The media is the worst. Go into any press box, because I've been in a couple, not recently, but in a couple. You know how bad the culture I've heard is? You know how bad the culture is sometimes in the city field press box? Pretty bad, I'll tell you. I heard from people. MSG, Knicks, pretty bad. 
pretty bad. Maybe that's the culture they should work on a little bit. Because I could tell you stories on that if I wanted to. Because even though I'm not there, I'm there. I know people. I talk to people. People tend to trust me because I'm not there and they know I'm not going to uh, hurt their uh, their secret. I'm not going to, uh, when they confide in me, I'm going to keep that to myself. Buster Olney. Oh my God. Buster, you know, the, the Mets are becoming such a joke that executives are saying it's going to hurt the Mets. Nobody's going to want to work for Steve Cohen. Nobody's going to want to sign there. Guess what, Buster? If that were true and I had that competitive advantage, I wouldn't be telling you. So let me get this straight. You see your competitor supposedly flailing and you want to go out there and continue to leverage that advantage and hope that it doesn't end. Do you call them up and say, hey, buddy, maybe you should stop because it's hurting you. Also, Steve Cohen's a pretty smart guy. Maybe he's in that honeymoon phase. He's certainly in that honeymoon phase as an owner. You're not going to see him like this forever. I think you have your first the first two to three, maybe five years, you're going to get the most engaged, I think, excited, spend-happy Steve Cohen. As, he, as this levels out and he sees what this is all about, you're going to see a more balanced owner that still will have that fastball, but I think will target it a little bit more after he has a bit of a reputation and maybe some success. Do you think you'd go out there and tell your competitor to, through Buster only to stop? Do you guys now see how childish and laughable the coverage in this town is? It's WWE level silly. And it's all it's meant to do is create copy for the day. And it's really no better than talk radio. Thinking back to how talk radio used to be looked down upon by writers, when w, especially when WFAN became big, how that was like the... the the candy store of the candy store, so to speak. And everything, and, and really, WFAN used to be somewhat journalistic, especially in its early days, even though it had the fan component and the callers. But it became much different. It became childish. And you actually saw me, especially about a decade, 15 years ago, swing back to what I thought was more serious discussion and analysis and integrity which was the the newspaper world, and that's really just swung into the same cesspool. So that's why you have a show like this. That's why you have to be able to do your own research, and you have to look through stuff. So if you went to bed and, and woke up Thanksgiving really feeling lousy about the Mets, I get it, because you probably bought into a lot of the nonsense you were reading, and let's face it, the Mets have had nothing really but since the day Steve Cohen took over. Bad news between GMs hiring and firing, losing out on big free agents, a small window of success for about three months or so of first place baseball. But with that, even then, all the injuries and and never having a full complete team that you envisioned, it was like a car being in start and stop. You were still kind of in the race, but you knew something was wrong. And then everything went kablooey and after Labor Day, it basically was irrelevant Mets and now nobody wants to take the job. Nobody wants to, you know, there's no you know, manager. Nobody wants to play here, so on and so forth. Then Friday night happens and Black Friday happens. And Steve Cohen says, you know what? Enough. And you saw the beginnings of what the Mets plan is. And I wanted to really do a show kind of outlining the Mets offseason plan, which I would see it. But I didn't have that opportunity, obviously, because of what happened with the GM search and then the holidays came. And part of what I was going to do this week was that. 
one thing you're seeing with this deadline, so to speak, of the lockout, which we'll probably next week at this time be talking about, well, when are we going to see hot stove again? When are we going to see baseball again? There's a sense of urgency with the players and the agents and the owners, similar to the NBA. I mean, this is a ton of activity pre, you know, winter meetings. Now, I'm sure that deadline has something to do with it. I don't think we would have seen maybe to this level till the winter meetings because players like to see how their market will develop. But a lot of guys don't want to go into this lockout and spend two months at home wondering what will my contract be, how much will it be, and will I have a job? Even though guys that the Mets sign like uh, Eduardo Escobar, Mark Hanna, you know, certainly Starling Marte, they all will have jobs. You know, it's the fringy guys, the guys that get the one-year deals. Those are the guys who might have to worry. The veterans who, depending on how the league looks at them, will they actually get an invite or will they get some guarantees? So one of the things is like, hey, look, uh, a deadline works. Is there a way to do that? in the offseason to create some excitement around the sport without compromising the fact that these are pretty big decisions. These are pretty big decisions that everybody needs to uh, to make. And should you really rush them? No. But I think sometimes, similar to the sport we're in now and how methodical everything is because everybody's overthinking everything, maybe we're overthinking the free agent process too because, you know, let's face it, the only one that really wins in the end with free agency, other than the player, by being methodical and, and, and long range is really the team trying to either drag the contract down a bit or the agent trying to drag the money up a bit. The lifestyle of the player's not going to change. Those guys, they benefit the most, I think, in those scenarios. But that's another story for another day. So you saw this exciting whirlwind of a Friday night. And really, you know, news, news, news. It looks like more news is going to come out. And who knows, by the time this is published and you guys are sitting down uh, listening to it, maybe the Mets have jumped into the pitching market, which has to, a discussion all on its own, which we'll get to after the break. But what you saw here with the Mets is they really, and if you go back to shows that I had throughout October, and really a concept that was brought to light by the Braves and how they handled the trade deadline. And remember, this sport is all about copycat. I've talked about it before. Florida Marlins win a World Series with Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo at the top of the lineup. It's speed that needs to get it done. The Red Sox the following year win a World Series with on-base percentage and power. Oh, forget about it. Need to get on base. Need to hit for power. And so on and so on and so on and so on. Up, oh, you win with a lot of bullpen. Everybody goes out and signs bullpen arms. Up, oh, you win with a lot of starting pitching. Don't, don't worry. Don't need offense. It's since the end of time. But what you see here is a little bit different because I think two things that are fundamental that have always existed that the Mets went out there is to get guys first off yes they get on base but also you have players here in Marte um, that run the base as well that yes hit for power but none of them are bad defensive players and I think in the case of Canna that you have a little flair. Now, I know he's doing the bat flip, and that's controversial and whatnot, but I think the one thing that the Mets, especially when the chips went down, the Mets had fun. I think it was at times manufactured fun, like the horse still to this day drives me nuts. But I think that anytime they had fun, it was like an exhale, a sigh of relief. They have achieved what they're expected to achieve. There's a lot of expectations on these guys, and I think they kind of succumbed to that pressure. 
Can they have a team that generally is out there and has a little flair and character, but real flair, good flair, not obnoxious flair? I think Strowman has that. I think, and oh boy, we'll get to him. I think he goes over the line a little bit at times and goes from flair to obnoxious and back. So they went out there and they got component players, like we saw at the Braves, professional guys, guys that can round out a lineup, maybe not sexy, but each one of those guys, if they perform somewhere to their career norms for not Marte, but Escobar and Canna, reasonable two-year deals that I can't see either one of those deals going very bad. Even Jed Lowry, everybody jokes about. Two-year deal. He did, he, what, he had eight at-bats, seven at-bats with the Mets? Can't really go bet wrong. It's you, you, you piss away money, but again, if it doesn't impact you doing other moves with this owner, not a bad deal. Now, Marte's different. Those last two years might be ugly. He's a guy who's based on his speed. Speed tends to decline after age 32, 33. He's right around that age. But all you gave was money for him. You didn't have to give up Brandon Nimmo like you had to a couple of years ago when he was in Pittsburgh. He's a guy that, oh, hold on. He actually scores from second on a single. Could you believe that? Brings pretty good defense. And is a guy that, uh, you know, adds a component of speed that, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was injuries, I thought the Mets really underutilized the stolen base. They started to get into it late in the year, probably right around late August when they were a little bit desperate. I don't know if that was planned or maybe guys got healthier, but guys like Pilar and VR, I'm like, why can't these guys run? Lindor, they stolen bases in their career. I mean, you you have decent speed like Stalling Marte. You should be able to steal 30 bases without being irresponsible and running yourself out of an inning. And by the way, if you take a good lead and you know how to run the bases... More than not, you can steal bases on most catchers with the exception of the Yadier Molinas of the world. So let's remember that. So the Mets went out and got themselves some really good component. Maybe it's their Jorge Solar and uh, Eddie Rosario and their Adam Duvall, you know, in that sense. Because let's face it, I would love to see an offseason where the Mets could go out and get Javi Baez and get Michael Conforto back and or sign Nick Castellanos and, you know, play at the deep end of every position. But Billy Epler has been pretty consistent from the minute he took the GM job is that he's going to go out and he's going to spend those resources and he's going to go really to the deep end of the pool on pitching. And for offense, he's going to go component-driven. And I think they may have one, and I think it will depend on how the pitching shakes out, one big fish move. And I still think bringing in Baez and bringing that kind of dynamic bat, as risky as it is, if you could get it, as MLB Trade Rumors, who has, if you go to that site, I can't believe how accurate they were on the contracts that we saw this weekend with Marte and Canna and uh, Escobar. Uh, get him on a reasonable, if you could get him on a four-year, $120 million deal, jeez, uh, go for that. I don't think you can. I think you're going to need to go more $30 million, maybe five years, maybe like 150 or something along those lines. And if you do go less, the AAV has to be higher. I would still like to see them while they're going after pitching. And if you if you gave me an option, do I get Scherzer for three years or Baez? And I know this bleeds into the second segment on this show. I'm not so sure I would give the money to the pitcher who I'm still unsure of really can hold up over three years. I have some concerns there, and we'll get to that. But I'd love to see them go after Javi Baez. If they don't, I love Jeff McNeil. But I also think Jeff McNeil has a lot to prove, and it wouldn't be the worst thing to put him in a super utility role. And look, there's going to be a DH. Right now, Robinson Cano's back has sidelined him for the rest of the, probably the rest of the, the winter, it sounds like. 
Uh, you don't know what you're going to get out of Dom Smith. You don't know if you could go out and get after the lockout uh, and, and everything kind of resumes and where then things will get really interesting because leverage will swing in different ways from player to owner. Uh, a DH like a Nelson Cruz, uh, do you even want that? So uh, I would be careful about uh, just giving second base to Jeff McNeil, especially considering you could use another bat for the DH. So it's not like just because you get Javi Baez back. I'm starting to really, it's amazing. It was a guy who I would never think two weeks into his tenure with the Mets, maybe up until Labor Day, I really would never have thought I'd really want him back or care whether he ever came back. But uh, he showed me a lot, like I said, with his base running. I think his relationship with Lindor is important. The power is, I mean, he's got as much power as anybody in Mets history. He's, his power is big time, just like Piazza, just like Cespedes, just like Strawberry. He's, he's in that pantheon. He's a different type of hitter. And if he could even, for one iota, evolve, and that's a big if, because nobody at his age, even late 20s, who has hit a certain way is going to evolve and do a complete 180. But if he can evolve to some iota of patience, could you imagine what he can do? Yeah, I see the numbers. I saw the numbers on MLB.com. He doesn't hit 95-plus mile-an-hour fastballs at the same rate as Corey Sager and Correa, and he's a righty batter, and as he ages, you know, that bat slows down. It's going to even be harder for him to keep up. That's why I'd keep the contract reasonable. But at this point, you've filled a bunch of positions with really nice professional component players. It'd be nice to have one other star. And would I be comfortable with an offense that's, you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to have stars at every position to score five runs a game. You don't. You have to make contact. You have to move runners along. You have to execute all the things the Mets didn't do. Maybe hit some home runs every once in a while if you're a home run hitter. I could see the Mets go into battle with that. And I'd be fine with your star is really Pete Alonso. And you're going to hope that guys bounce back like uh, McNeil. And, and you got some guys in the minor leagues. You know, it looks like now the babies of the world, the Vientos, have some time to develop and breathe and not be pushed into the same type of situation that Pete Alonso's in. You got an elite run creator at the top and Brandon Nimmo if he could stay healthy. But I'd like to see one more bat. But I really like how they went component for one year on AAV. I think it's about $43 million they spent on those three players. That's what it would have cost you to match the Syndergaard contract. And probably Michael Conforto. And I like Michael Conforto, and I wanted to see potentially a reunion. But if you told me, bring Michael Conforto back or bring a few component players with a different dynamic of speed and defense, and especially you're hearing about the clubhouse, sign me up. So you can't complain about Steve Cohen's Black Friday revenge. The revenge of Steve Cohen on Black Friday. Gotta love it. But they're not done yet. And it looks like the Mets not only are shopping for starting pitching, but they're shopping in the deep end of the pool. I'm not sure I want to go too deep, but I like some of the names. And guess what? Marcus Stroman's mixing it up on Twitter. And I got to tell you, I don't agree with a lot of his tweets normally. There's one I do. There's a lot I don't. And I'd be careful about letting him walk. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's get into the starting pitching market. Because I think that will evolve a little bit quicker than whether or not Javi Baez comes back or Javi Baez gets a crazy contract somewhere else. But you know where I stand. Love the moves. Love for them to put the cherry on top, bring Javi Baez back. Not sure that's going to happen. And I think they got to address the pitching first. And I think they will. And maybe by the time this goes to Apple Podcasts and you're listening to it, maybe it's going to be stale, but we'll try to keep it as relevant so that you can listen to this and get my thoughts, whether they sign a pitcher in the interim or not. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. 
thinking through that importance of, you know, farm system in depth. And, you know, there are some constraints in, in Major League Baseball. Right? There's only so much we can spend internationally. Those players take a long time to develop. Mm-hmm. There's only so much we can spend in the draft. Those players take a long time to develop. So are there avenues to go grab contracts elsewhere, right, and tie prospects to them? Some teams are still doing that. Um, most teams are not doing that. But I think it's just the openness and the willingness um, to be able to take something and say, "Look, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot on this on on this player. Um, the contract might be a touch underwater, but we're gonna get this prospect back." I think doing um, exploring those and trying to push those through a little bit more. Um, you know, there's an openness to do that here. So um, you know, you, you you take with you all of your experiences, and and so. Uh, I, you know, one thing that, that definitely stands out is just the depth, the depth, the depth, right? The number of starting pitchers that we were using um, in any given year, um, you know, is, is, is something that's, that is ingrained in my mind. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it has, uh, you know, it has kind of guided my, my approach this winter. You know, I'm, I'm engaged in a ton of starting pitching right now, um, mm-hmm. you know, and also as well as infield and outfield, but uh, you know, the, the experiences, um, you know, you never want to waste a, waste an experience. So, um, so I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that that learning and that that knowledge um, uh, from doing that job before, and, and be able to apply it here. All right, we're back talking Mets podcast here. So, I had said about a week ago, the Mets probably are going to need about a hundred million dollars to compete on top of the current 180, 185, depending on the payroll, to compete in 2022. While they're trying to figure out how to really build an organization, they're a year behind because of the transition year. Do you want to rebuild or do you want to compete? Most teams would have tore it down and rebuilt. Owner would have saved a ton of money. Mets don't have that option. The owner doesn't want to do that because he'll become, even with it, even with currently where he's at, they're making him a punchline. They would, have, they would destroy him for a rebuild for five years. They would applaud it and say it's the right thing to do, but then they would destroy it. It's it's such a comical way of covering a team. And, and he knows it. He's not stupid. So you need $100 million in the interim, at least this year, to compete. You've already spent about 41 to $43 million on positional players. You might need to spend another 30 on a second baseman in Javi Baez. So I don't know... You know, AAV and maybe they make the next year be a little bit lower and bump up the years later. We'll see. You still got to sign Jacob DeGrom. You still got to sign uh, Nimmo down the road. So there's a lot. This is a complicated. The payroll is going to have to be, if they want to compete and win, the payroll is going to be complicated if you shop at the deep end of the pool. That's why I'm not sure, as I look at the pitching situation here, I'm not sure that... Max Scherzer is the way to go. Now, it sounds like they're all in on him. And from what I understand, I mean, the, what, the Jared, Cole's is, Jared Cole is $36 million a year. Scherzer is a guy that's going to want $40 million a year. Now, I don't know if at this point, I know he had a really good run with the Dodgers when he came over from the Nats. And he was even good with the Nats. But he's a guy that, and, and he's won. He won a championship. He's a gamer. He could pitch 200 innings. He hasn't done that, though. He's more like a 180. You know, he's had some injuries. 
He had some shoulder uh, issues in 2019, the year they went to the, the World Series and won. He made 27 starts that year. He did make 30 starts this year. I don't know if he's the 33-34 start horse that could do 220 to 230 innings anymore. He's got a lot of miles on that arm. He's 36. But if it doesn't impact their moves elsewhere, and I, I think signing Scherzer probably would mean Baez would have to take a much more friendly contract, which I'm not sure he has to do based on the fact that there's probably a market for him somewhere. I don't know if giving Scherzer a three-year deal at this point. See, Scherzer's a guy I'd go year to year with. Because I don't know at 36 what the health is going to be. You sign Scherzer to something similar to what you were going to do with Trevor Bauer. Three years, $105 million or something like that. You're going to have some serious dead money if this guy breaks down. And I, I know all the positives. I know about being, you know, one in 1A with DeGrom. Taking a ton of pressure off DeGrom. I know about his big game pitching. You have two aces at the top of the rotation. It doesn't necessarily preclude them from signing somebody else. Maybe they go more John Gray or another Steven Matz type in the back end of the rotation. But remember something, and I said this on Twitter and people dismiss it. Poppycock, look at that. The guy couldn't really go five innings in two of his three postseason starts with the Dodgers. You don't believe me. You forgot that. Look it up. He went four and a third innings in the wild card series. He went in the wild card game, I should say. Um, in the NLDS, he already had the eight innings against the Giants. Came in relief, too, by the way. So he didn't pitch eight innings in one game, came in relief. And then you had the 4.1 innings with the Braves. He's not going deep into games. I don't need another $50 million, $40 million reliever. You just don't. Um, you know, Game 3, I'm looking at the stats right now as we're talking here. Game 3, Max Scherzer, he went seven innings there. Okay, he came in any relief. So seven innings, one run. They lost the game. That's a game they lost uh, one nothing. Big-time game. That's what you pay Max Scherzer to do. Seven innings, one run. No problem with that. Because DeGrom's, you know, same guy. I don't think DeGrom's going nine innings either. But... When you really needed him in the next series, you know, he's not really giving you any kind of length. And he talked about being a little tired, and and I get it. He's 36, 37, and he's got a lot of bullets in there. But those are the kind of guys, similar Verlander, I go one year, maybe two, and I got to be right. I got to make sure everything's right, and I just don't have the confidence. I just think Max Scherzer is a risky move, and I have to think— Throwing $40 million at Max Scherzer is going to have an impact, especially if you do it for three years, on other positions they can fill and with that kind of quality. And if it means I've got to walk on Javi Baez on the offensive end, well, guess what? I'd rather go to the next tier. Now, I had said re- originally, can you get an ace in the making on a reasonable deal? And the guys that came up in that bucket are Kevin Gosman, who they clearly are in. I've heard he prefers the West Coast. We'll see where that plays. I personally think if the money's the same, you're going to have the same issue with Gosman. It's supposedly Toronto's involved, Seattle, and the Mets. I think the thing about Toronto is you got, obviously, the Canadian taxes and going up to Canada. And then, you know, Seattle, New York, you know, Washington uh, State, I'm not sure that's a, a cheap place to live either. So, 
where would you rather spend the next five or six years? doesn't sound like the Giants or the Dodgers are involved in that. They're out. Maybe the Giants know something. Maybe they feel they got him. They got the best they could get out of him. Gossman's an interesting guy because I have no problem going five years, 125, maybe a sixth-year option. You're looking at a guy, again, he's going to get similar to what Zach Wheeler got. And I look at his, his evolution, and it's similar to Wheeler where he's starting to emerge. Now, I don't want to say that the Mets are getting a guy that's going to be every year competing for the Cy Young. Because in the second half, there is some red flags. In the second half, he was very good in the first half. He was one of the best pitchers in baseball. In the second half, he had an ERA over four. He's somewhere in between. He's a guy, I think, that could win you double digits in games, get you an ERA of 3.5 to 4, give you a lot of quality starts, and perhaps it sounds like pitch, at times, top end of the rotation level. That's what we thought Zach Wheeler was, and I was concerned that Zach Wheeler wasn't going to hold up over five years. It was also a different time when you were still looking to possibly extend Syndergaard. You knew the DeGrom extension was coming up. You knew Mats was still on the board. It was a different ownership group, so I was hesitant. Today, the Zag Wheeler deal, no problem. I'd do that deal. Because again, as long as a deal doesn't impact other moves in the short term or long term negatively where the team won't be able to fully compete and win, it's only Steve Cohen's money. I don't care about him spending his money. That's for him to decide. He's going to raise ticket prices anyway. Things are going to be expensive to go to City Field anyway, so why not enjoy yourself, right? So I don't have a problem. So I sound a bit like a phony with Gosman because a lot of the same things, even with Robbie Ray, who's, you know, I thought maybe he'd be more like uh, Jose Barrios and get a seven-year, $130 million deal. You know, here's a guy with a little less of a resume. At least Gosman, when he was in Baltimore, and he pitched for, I think, one of those good Orioles teams, but not necessarily a lot of good Orioles teams. And he's in the American League East, and he's facing tough lineups, and the DH. He held his own. He was a guy who was like 10 and 12, ERA around four, you know, had spurts where he just looked bad. But again, there are not many guys out there in the market. John Gray is not going to give you number one starter, I think, at least from looking at him from afar, like a Kevin Gosman can. Uh, same thing with Zach Wheeler. We never felt that he could give you consistently number one. He had the ability to do it. He was more like, hey, look, he'll give you a good number three, uh, maybe more number two, and then against good teams like the Yankees and the Braves, he's going to get clobbered against some good teams on the road. And I was wrong. He evolved. And maybe Kevin Gosman's evolving, and maybe you're, he's evolving at a time where you can get him where if it was a little bit earlier in his career and he started doing this at a much cheaper deal. And you get yourself someone to take the pressure off of DeGrom. And potentially, look, I know that there's uh, it's heresy to say this. You don't know if DeGrom resigns. I think he, if you win and, and you make things good here, it's, he's, you know the Mets are going to want to keep him. But you want to make that good in the interim, and maybe Gosman helps you at that in that way. Now, when you start to look at that ace in the making on a reasonable deal, both Robbie Ray and Kevin Gosman come with downside. I could easily see either of those guys turning into Chris Archer, Jeff Smarja, Johnny Cueto. Go look at those contracts. Jeff Smarja was a well-regarded ace in the making when the A's acquired him and then traded him to the White Sox. And he's been anything but that. Johnny Cueto was coming off a big-time performance as a rental with Kansas City when the Giants signed him. I mean, he gave him one good year. 
you give these guys five or six year deals, they can look pretty bad pretty quick and bad deal after bad deal adds up. And then the Mets could look like how the Giants looked a couple of years back where they had all this dead money and really no way to get around it and field a competitive team. The only other option you have at that point is to go to the scrap heap. And there's really not a value bin. Steven Matz, who I thought would have been a value, maybe a two-year deal, got a four-year deal. John Gray is going to get exactly what Matz got. Maybe you, you know, Desclafani already off the board. Alex Wood off the board. Maybe you could go and get Zach Greinke on a one-year deal. He seems to have declined a little bit. But then you're going to be going down to Tyler Anderson, Martin Perez, maybe then really the scrap heap, James Paxton, Aaron Sanchez, Dylan Bundy. You do not want those guys because then you're going to be pushing Peterson and McGill, more likely rotation candidates. It sounds like they want Peterson and McGill to be options six and seven, and then maybe the scrap heap guys be somewhere in that mix. So that brings me to my point, which is Marcus Stroman. And I know he's tough to take. And look, he's been liking tweets. He's been tweeting out how great he is. He's been butting into conversations. And I've said this once. I'll say it a thousand times. There is very little politically and off the field that Marcus Stroman and I agree with. With different people, maybe we both come from Suffolk County, but you know I didn't grow up here. He did, um, but very little in common. But I respect the hell out of him in terms of how he goes about his craft. I think it's awesome how he's looked at keeping his body and his mind in a certain space because I think a lot of pitchers don't do that. Spin rate and Rapsodo and all these things that you do, which are nice tools in your repertoire, don't mean a darn thing if your head is not right, if your body isn't right. Rick Peterson told me a long time he was one of the big advocates for health with pitchers. And he told me about a few pitchers that he used to disgust him when he would go into the postgame uh, spread and see them eating ice cream right after a game. It's like, why would you put that garbage in your body? Now, Rick is on the other spectrum of health and, and food and but he's right, and and I think having someone that understands nutrition, understandings your mind, understands recovery, all these things that technology can bring positively to you, it sounds like Marcus Stroman has, has embraced that. Marcus Stroman is a little bit like Luis Tion. He's got a lot of different pitches. You know, he doesn't do the as much the different arm angles. I don't want to say arm angles, but the, the, the delay in pitching, the quick pitch or the, the, the pause. I think he got away from that a little bit in 2021 he tweeted in a conversation that he just butt himself in and he this was the one thing i have to say velocity decline is a massive problem for most pitchers in our generation i'm glad to be the league of my own sliders split change sinkers two seam cutter four seam curveball etc i'm betting heavy on myself against all others over the next five to seven years well there you had it he wants a five to seven year deal i don't know if he's going to get that but i can't see him getting anything less than four or five years He's not going to get any less than four. I don't think it'll be five to seven. I think it'll be four to five. And I think he gets $25 million a year. You know, if, can you honestly sit here and say Gosman 5-125 or Stroman 5-125? Either one is a, a, a less of a risk than the other. Or that Gosman is, is, is less of a risk than Stroman. I, he, both guys come with upside and downside. I would say Stroman could evolve as a pitcher, and I haven't seen enough of Gosman to know exactly how his evolution has been, but I know that Stroman doesn't need velocity, and I think Gosman needs a little bit more of that. So does Robbie Ray. And I know that Stroman has, you know, 
battled with less than his best stuff and you know can use his defense. I'm not sure those other guys who are relying on a higher strikeout rate can do the same. Uh, he's pretty good at you know keeping the walks down. I do think that there's the theatrics and the antics and going out on Twitter now. And here's the other thing: calling the Mets out for wanting Gosman and Ray, which you know. I guess, look, if Steve Cohen does it, he really can't complain if a player does it. But when you're in that club, the Players Association, you think Gosman and Ray are happy that their contract stuff is being thrown out there? Because Stroman obviously knows something. He talked to the front office, talked to his agent. His agent talks to other agents. They know what's going on. And then he likes a tweet from a, a dopey fan who you know puts race into the whole thing. Look, I'm going to tell you this once. I'll tell you this a thousand times. This is probably the last time I'll ever mention it. I always say that, and then I have to mention it again because I feel compelled to. I don't care if you're from Mars, Venus, purple, or green. If you can help the Mets win, Steve Cohen's going to have room for you. If you can help the Mets win, there'll be a roster spot for you. And if you're good and there's a market for you, they're going to pay you. They're going to let a lot of stuff go. There's a lot of stuff off the field that was done over the last couple years in sports that was disgusting. But everybody forgot about it once the games got real. And when it's time to get paid and you can contribute to a team, they're going to pay you. So for him to even go that route, I know it's just like in a tweet. And I don't want to get too deep into that. I, I just think it's wrong. And it shows me a lot of where the mind is at. And it's disappointing. But be that as it may, that's neither here nor there. That's not going to change the fact that of all the names I just told you, I got to agree with Stroman. He's the most likely to be consistent throughout a long-term deal and hold up over that long-term deal and be able to deal with age in the best way possible. And again, I'm being straight here. I don't know enough about Robbie Ray and Kevin Gaussman on that level. I've seen Stroman at a deep level. But knowing what I know with Stroman, I'd love it in a world where the Mets, and it sounds like Robbie Ray is not, I'm surprised that he, Stroman says he's a priority because the Mets don't want to give up a pick, but being that they got one for Syndergaard, maybe they're a little more open to in the right situation. I love a world where instead of going Scherzer, why don't you go Gosman and Stroman? I think that would be exciting. Can they afford $50 million of pitching between those two guys? Well, if you're going to give Scherzer 40, give me the two guys at 50. That's my take. I'm not all that excited about Scherzer. Now, he'll get signed, and look, if that's the direction to go, uh, you'll know. That, to me, could be fabulously good, and I hope it goes fabulously good, but it could be fabulously bad. And we could be sitting here with egg on our face, hopefully for not more than a year, but maybe up to three years, because I think he's going to look for a three-year deal. And if you want to talk about welcome to the big league Steve Cohen getting used by agents and not coming back to him, because let's face it, welcome to the big league Steve Cohen. They're going to use you. When you go out there and say, come back to me with your best offer, they'll, they may do that. They're going to shop your offer around. But don't be surprised your offer gets used to go somewhere else. And that could be happening with Scherzer here. So, you know, there is no easy answer here. Yes, it's Steve Cohen's money. Who cares? Spend Steve Cohen's money. But to be quite honest, it can potentially, this kind of spending spree, even though right now it doesn't seem to be too harmful, even with the Marte deal, has repercussions on how they could spend next year, the year after. They have DeGrom, they have Nimmo coming up. You're going to want to, uh, hopefully some of these prospects develop, the pitchers like JT Ginn and Matthew Allen, and then you have guys like Beatty and Vientos and Francisco Alvarez. You, you, you hope at some point 
that these guys develop where you have some low-cost options, assuming the CBA stays the same. Look, Pete Alonso's going to have to get paid soon. He's been in the league three years, guys. He's at arbitration. You're going to be staring down the barrel of having to pay him very, very soon. It's crazy to say that. So you got to be careful in the sense where how can you do this spending spree? How can you spend if it is a number that it does come out to $100 million AAV for this year? How can you spend it where you don't kill yourself for years and years to come? Because what you're spending is, is you're spending for the right to get into relevance in the tournament and be in the conversation. Nobody's going to give you preferential the Mets of the team to beat. They'll love the offseason, winning the offseason. I talk about this all the time. And look, how much fun is it to win the offseason? Friday was a fun day. Saturday was great being a Mets fan. But it wears off in July when these guys aren't playing or these guys are underperforming and you go into a, a an eight-game road trip or a nine-game road trip to the West Coast and you get your butt beat. Doesn't November and Thanksgiving and Black Friday doesn't matter anymore at that point. So you got to be smart. Personally, I'd be real careful about Scherzer. I wouldn't just throw uh, Stroman to the side, all the tweeting and all that notwithstanding. And if I could get two guys, maybe a Gosman and a Stroman, and look, you want to go the John Gray route, go Gosman, John Gray, and you have the upside guy with who, like Mats, will probably give you a good four or five, a guy that's went to Colorado um, and, and been successful, and then you get Gosman at the top, and then you want to shop in the bargain bin and go Dylan Bundy or Mike Fires or James Paxton or Aaron Sanchez. I'm fine with you going into that bin. You probably don't have to do that next week by the deadline, by the December 1st, because those guys are going to be around, and they probably need to showcase themselves late in the offseason anyway, some of them who haven't been uh, healthy uh, consistently. Uh, there really is no – to me, the bargain bin doesn't really – you know what the bargain bin is? It's the scrap heap now. It's gone from top of the uh, top of the rotation – to pretty expensive right next there, and then there's the scrap heap. There's none of that. You know, I could get a guy on one year, you know, $7 million plus incentives. There's none of that anymore. It's gone. It's done. All right, let's take a quick break, wrap up. I'll tease a little bit our next hour as we get into our first Talking Mets panel. An historic day here, Thanksgiving weekend, an historic day in Talking Mets podcast history as we bring the fans into the show in a fun way. We'll be back with that and more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So really fun second hour coming up. Uh, If you're listening to this, I'm trying to get this posted before the panel. I'm working on it hard. We're getting up to the, uh, the second hour and it doesn't take five minutes to post, but you know, we'll, we'll work on that. That's my problem. Um, wanted to uh, give you guys a little tease. Now, I'm not going to tell you who's part of the panel. I want that to be a surprise when you listen to the program. Some really good guests, big-time Mets fans, some who are involved in their own podcasting and blogosphere, some who are from another country, some who have been watching the team for many, many years. And I think they all bring their own blend of uh, experience with the team, knowledge, and it should be a lot of fun. And it's going to be an hour. It's going to be polite. Uh, stole the idea from the Queens Baseball Convention 
And they've done that. I've been part of those panels in the past. They've done it pretty well. Mark Healy, a good friend of the show, Gotham Baseball, always does a great job with that. And I said, why can't we do that on Zoom and bring it to you, the listener? And, uh, you know, it's a lot of mental bubble gum. Like, you guys hear from me mostly. You guys hear from the guests that I bring on, both from the mainstream and independent media. Why don't we hear from people who listen to the show, who are fans of the show, and hear what they have to say? Because maybe there's something that I'm missing. But what a wild week. I mean, it starts off with Steve Cohen and the tweeting controversy, the Mets getting spurned by an old friend, then you have the Thanksgiving holiday, and then it's Black Friday and the Mets go out and they really copy the blueprint that the Braves put out there by getting some really good component players that I think really together are much more valuable to the offense than just going out and putting all that money into a Michael Conforto and potentially bringing back an old friend Syndergaard. We have to get over... 2015. I've been holding on to that rotation and the promise. It was a nice run. It was something that was special and always will be special. It never reached the potential that we thought it should have reached. That happens. Now you have to play a little checkbook baseball and you have this bridge to the next era of Mets history with Steve Cohen, with his new GM. And maybe when it's all said and done, this wild two years between Sandy Alderson, one GM, two GMs, all the controversies. You'll look back and laugh, and I'll tell you what, one thing's for sure. It's not dull, and there's going to be a lot of news. And the one thing I can promise you about the Mets with this owner, at least in the short term, they're always going to be newsworthy. They're always going to be in on guys. They're not going to be wallflowers. They're not going to be the bottom end of the big market teams. I'll tell you that. So stay tuned. More to come. Our first ever Talking Mets panel here on this Thanksgiving weekend. Go and digest whatever leftover turkey you have. Come back and listen to more Talking Mets in the second hour. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another second hour Talking Mets panel very soon. Stay tuned throughout the day. Till then, take care, everybody.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.